All right, well, it is Easter season, and, and obviously you've been seeing our, our Easter advertisements that the theme this year for Easter is Then He Rose, and, and now you see that we got it from this new Easter song that we just taught you and that we just sang together. And, and here's the, what, what I got out of listening to that song and in kind of the direction that God wanted us to go for this Easter season is that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, right before he gave up his spirit, he said these words. He said, it is finished. It is finished. And what he meant by that is that everything that needed to be paid for the forgiveness of our sins, for the redemption of our souls, was paid on the cross. The blood that he shed, and when he died on that cross, that was sufficient to absolutely pay the price for our sins and so that we can be reconciled to God. And we're all in agreement on that. But here's the thing. That doesn't mean that God's plan of salvation was complete when Jesus died. There was another step that needed to happen. Jesus needed to walk out of that grave for God's plan of salvation to be complete. If you read 1 Corinthians 15, Paul actually says this. He says, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then our faith is worthless and we're still in our sins. That's a heavy thought. If there was no resurrection, our faith would be worthless. Even though Jesus died on the cross and paid the price, if he had not walked out of that grave, we would still be in our sins. The resurrection was a critical step in God's plan of salvation. And that's why in this new song that we just sang, it says, Jesus paid it all, and then he rose. Both steps were necessary. He paid it all, and then he rose. The resurrection changed everything. It changed everything for us. And what I want to do for this Easter season, for today, Palm Sunday, next Sunday for Easter, and even a couple of Sundays after Easter, is I want to look at some specific men and women in the Bible who experienced the resurrection Jesus. And I want us to look at how the resurrection changed everything for them. And as these are character studies... We're going to be diving into a little bit more scripture than we normally would in a Sunday message, and you can see that in your notes. And for the sake of time, we may not get to every passage of scripture that's in your notes, but they're in there, so you can read them on your own time. But today, in this journey of character studies on the resurrection, I want to begin with Peter. And so I want us to dive into the life of Peter and his experience with the resurrected Jesus And ultimately the idea that his destiny was restored because he experienced the resurrection Jesus. And if that message is true for Peter, how much more could it be true for us today? So let's talk about Peter. Let me give you some introductory things just so that we kind of know the big picture of Peter's life. First off, Peter considered himself an apostle and a slave of Christ Jesus. In his first letter, he introduced himself, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. In his second letter, he introduced himself, Simon Peter, a bondservant, which means slave, and apostle of Jesus Christ. And so, Peter wrote these letters and introduced himself as such. First off, we know this, that the church was founded when Peter preached his first sermon. And so the church of Jesus Christ was founded because he preached the message 
of the cross and the message of repentance, and 3,000 people gave their life to Christ, and the first church was founded there in Jerusalem, and then Peter himself became the primary leader of that church of Jerusalem. By the time we get to about Acts 15, we find that it's really Peter and James, not James, one of the original apostles, but James, the brother of Jesus, were the primary leaders of the church in Jerusalem. At some point, Peter transfers to Rome and becomes the primary leader of the church at Rome. And just a fun fact, in case you were curious, this is why the Catholic Church considers Peter to be the first pope, because he was the first primary leader of the church of Rome. We don't believe in popes in the Christian church, but just in case you were curious, that is why. God used Peter as the first person to open up the gospel to the Gentiles. Until Peter was willing to walk into a Gentile home and preach the gospel to Gentiles, the gospel was only shared with Jews. And then ultimately, Peter was executed in Rome somewhere around 67 or 68 A.D., right around the same time that Paul was also executed in Rome. They were both executed under the order of Emperor Nero, who was a psychopath who was leading the Roman Empire and uh, who found great joy in murdering and torturing Christians. Tradition says that they were going to crucify Peter, which was the Roman tradition, but Peter didn't feel worthy of being killed the same way his Lord was killed, and so he asked them to crucify him upside down. And so tradition says that Peter was killed being hung upside down on a cross. So that's kind of the big picture of Peter's life and and who he was in the kingdom of God and in the New Testament church. But now let's go back and let's begin to, to dig into his story from the beginning. Let's first look at how he was called as one of the original disciples. In John chapter 1 and starting in verse 40, it says this. It says, one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. What is this talking about here? It's that, it's that Andrew was actually a disciple of, of John the Baptist. But then when John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, Andrew was like, Okay, well, I'm going to go be one of his disciples now. I'm going to go meet this Jesus. And after he goes and meets this Jesus, it says he went and found first his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. And so Andrew meets this Jesus, believes he's the Messiah, and the first thing he does is he goes and he tells his brother Simon. So Andrew is the first recorded person in the Bible who shared with a friend or family member about Jesus. It's one of the reasons we named our son Andrew. In verse 42, he brought him, meaning Andrew brought Simon to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. So the first thing that Jesus does when he meets Simon Peter is he gives him a nickname. Before he met Jesus, he wasn't Simon Peter. He was just Simon. And Jesus sees him and he says, Hey, you're you're Simon, the son of John. And at this time in history, in Jewish culture, actually in a lot of cultures in this time in history, you didn't have last names. You were just identified by who your father was. And of course, that tradition is even passed down today to where if your last name is Williamson or Stevenson or any name like that, that means the son of William or the son of Steve. 
So Simon's name basically was Simon Johnson, right? Can we just, his name was Simon Johnson, all right? He was Simon, the son of John. And Jesus meets him, and the first thing he does is he gives him a new nickname. He says, I'm going to call you Cephas, and it says in parentheses, which was translated Peter. And so Jesus was using a play on words here. Kepha was the Aramaic word for rock, and Petros or Petros, I forget if it was masculine or feminine, was the Greek word for rock. And so he says, you're going to be called Cephas in Aramaic or Peter in Greek, which means the rock. And so Jesus gives him a new nickname. Jesus says, from now on, I'm going to call you the rock. And people can smell what the rock is cooking. All right, come on. Come on, that was a good one. Come on, help me out here. All right. I'm going to, what, what was Jesus doing here? The first moment he meets Peter, he begins to speak identity into Peter's life. He begins to share with Peter not who Peter is, but who he, who he sees Peter becoming. And I believe that that's what God does with us when he begins to encounter us. He doesn't just talk to you about who you are now. He begins to speak into you about who you're becoming and who he wants you to be. The other Gospels also record Peter's encounter with Jesus. In Matthew 4 and in Mark 1, it's pretty quick. It just says that Jesus walked by, said, come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And it says immediately they left their nets and followed him. But in Luke 5, it gives a little longer version of the story. It says this in Luke 5 and verse 1. Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around Jesus and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Peter had an experience where it was revealed to him that Jesus was Lord. He was willing to trust Jesus as a master or as a rabbi or as a teacher when he said to go let down the nets. But when the boats were so full of fish that they began to sink, Peter has the revelation, this is God. This is Christ. This is the Messiah. And what does he do? He falls at the feet of Jesus as a broken man. And that should be all of our responses when we encounter God and we realize this is God and I am so broken. But Jesus said, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to learn how to catch men. If you can obey me and catch some fish, 
From now on, you're going to catch men. And it says when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything. See, in Matthew and Mark, it said they dropped their nets and followed Jesus. But here, it says they left everything. And what do we know about Peter? Well, it says that Jesus got into Peter's boats. Peter owned his own boats. Not only that, but it says that he was in partnership with the Zebedee family, so he had somewhat of a little fishing empire. He owned his own boat. He had his own business. When James and John left their boat, their dad could still work it. But for Peter, when he left his boat, it was his boat. We also come to find out that Peter had a house and a wife and a mother-in-law. But maybe he was happy to leave her. I don't know. But uh, I'm on a roll today, man. I'm on fire. Come on. Whoo. He left everything. His business, his boat, his house, his wife. He left everything to follow Jesus. Let's skip ahead to Matthew 16. Because in Matthew 16 now, we hear that, that Peter's destiny in the kingdom of God is declared over him. Starting in verse 13, it says this, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But then he asks them a critical question that I believe God asks every single one of us. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. You say, where did he get Barjona from? That's the same as Johnson. Okay, so that means the son of Jonah or the son of John. So Barjona is the same as Johnson. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter. Again, he is reiterating, you are the rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been on, on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. So Peter has this moment where he steps forward. Jesus is talking to all 12 of his disciples, and they're all giving him ideas, right? Well, some say you're John the Baptist resurrected because Herod had cut off John the Baptist's head, and they say you're, you're, you're the spirit of John the Baptist, come back. And others say you're, you're the prophet Elijah because Elijah never died, or you're the prophet Jeremiah, or you're one of the other prophets. But then he says, who do you guys say that I am? And of the 12 disciples, Peter is the one who steps forward and speaks first. And he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus' response is that no man revealed that to you, only God did. And again, I believe that is true for all of us, that for us to come to that place of salvation where we give everything to follow Jesus, it's because God brought revelation into our hearts that Jesus is God. But then he says this, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. 
He says, you are the rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. He is declaring Peter's destiny in the kingdom, that Peter is destined to be the foundational leader that establishes the church of Jesus Christ. Now, I know Martin Luther and some of the reformers of his day reinterpreted this passage to say, well, no, Jesus was actually saying that the confession that he is the Christ is the rock that that the church is built on. Well, the reason the reformers were saying that is because they were breaking off from the Catholic Church and they wanted nothing to do with the concept of a pope. And if Peter was the rock that the church of Jesus Christ was built on, then that confirmed him as a pope and they wanted to break away from the whole concept of the pope. And so they said, no, he wasn't talking about Peter. He was talking about the confession of Christ. But grammatically here in the Greek, he was talking about Peter. He wasn't talking about the confession of Christ. He was talking about Peter himself. He was saying, Peter, this is your destiny. Your destiny is to be a foundational leader in the church of Jesus Christ. Your destiny is to be the rock. You are going to be one of the first primary leaders that is going to lead my church. And interesting enough that this is actually the first mention. The first mention of church, right? Prior to this phrase, Jesus hadn't talked about church. But this is the first mention of the church of Jesus Christ. And he said, Peter, you are the rock upon which I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. And then he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Keys were always symbolic of authority. Anytime in the Bible that you read about keys... It's talking about authority. And so what Jesus is saying is, not only am I going to make you the rock upon which I build my church, I'm going to give you a special authority. I am dispensing to you a special authority so that you in the kingdom of God can help build my church. And he says that authority is that whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So what we see here is that Peter is having his destiny spoken over him. That he is going to be the foundational leader of the church of Jesus. And he's going to have a special authority dispensed directly from Jesus to lead his church. Now we get excited about that, but Peter was a broken guy, right? Even though Jesus kept speaking identity into him, you're the rock, you're the rock, I'm going to keep calling you Peter until you believe it, you're the rock, Peter had some struggles. Think about this, at one point, Peter actually rebuked Jesus' plans. Jesus shares with the disciples his plan for salvation, I'm going to be killed, I'm going to rise in three days, and Peter actually rebukes him. Can you imagine having the gall to rebuke Jesus right to his face? And then so Jesus has to turn around and rebuke Peter, saying, you're just thinking about man's agenda, not God's agenda. Peter was also rebuked because he wanted to set up tents on the mounts of transfiguration and just soak in the presence of God and hang out with Elijah. And he got rebuked. He said, no, we need to go down the mountain. We've got more work to do. Peter is also the one who fell asleep when he was supposed to stay up all night praying with Jesus. And how about this? Peter was also rebuked for cutting off somebody's ear when he was trying to arrest Jesus. Right? Peter, like, cuts off his ear, and Jesus is like, no, stop! That's not what I want! Right? And then 
Jesus like picks up the dude's ear and puts it back on and supernaturally reattaches it. He's like, hang on, Peter, I'm going to clean up this mess really quick. Okay. Don't we all feel like that sometimes? Like we're trying and Jesus is like, don't worry, I'm going to clean this mess up for you. Okay. That's Peter had struggles. He was a broken man. But yet Jesus continually declared his destiny over him. You're a rock. And then we get to Luke 22, Peter's denial of Jesus, starting in verse 31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Can you imagine Jesus saying this to you? Hey, Peter, Satan actually came to me and asked for you by name. He wants to steal your soul for all eternity. Whew. You got to be pretty high up on Satan's hit list for Satan to request you by name. But Jesus says, I've prayed for you that your faith will not fail. But then Jesus says this, after you've turned, then I want you to strengthen your brothers. After you have turned, I want you to lead and disciple your brothers. Basically, what he's saying is, is after you have failed and come back, I want you to be a leader again. And when Peter hears that, this is his response in the next verse. He says, but he said to him, Lord, with you, I am ready to go to both prison and to death. He's like, Jesus, I'll die for you. I'll go anywhere for you. Jesus, I am committing my absolute loyalty to you. How could you possibly say that I'm going to fail and then come back? I'm never going to leave you, Jesus. And Jesus said, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied three times that you know me. Skipping down, and I'm not going to read it all, but starting in verse 54, that's exactly what Peter does. He denies Jesus three times. Right there in the courtyard where they are holding a mock trial to falsely convict Jesus. Peter is there. At least Peter had enough courage to go. But right there in the presence of Jesus, he denies Jesus three times. And the third time the rooster crows, Jesus turns and makes eye contact with Jesus. And it says, Peter went out and wept bitterly. There are very few phrases in the Bible that could more encapsulate a sense of absolute brokenness and emptiness and desperation than to say that Peter went out and wept bitterly. He was completely broken. He had failed. He was supposed to be the rock, and yet when his character was put to the test, his character did not hold up. The next day, they take his Lord, and they hang him on a cross and kill him. And what is Peter left with? His Lord is dead, and he is a failure. And he believes that he has forsaken everything that Jesus spoke over his life. He is hopeless, and he is weeping bitterly. But then something happens. Then he rose. Jesus comes out of the grave. In Mark 16, 7, when Jesus first encounters the women who came to to, to see him at the grave, he tells the women, go and tell the disciples and Peter. He says, the disciples and Peter. He mentions all the disciples in a group, but then he mentions Peter by name. Why is that? Well, pretty much all the disciples had run away. 
except for John the Beloved who went all the way to the cross with Jesus and was there at the foot of the cross. They all went away, but Peter had denied him. Peter had denied him. Peter was the most broken. And so the resurrected Jesus asked for Peter by name. And I believe that even today, the resurrected Jesus is asking for us by name. In our deepest brokenness, in our worst failures, the resurrected Jesus is asking for us by name. And then in Luke 24, we read that when the women found the disciples hiding behind a locked door somewhere, and they said Jesus is alive, that the other disciples thought it was nonsense and thought the women were crazy, but Peter took off and started running. See, when you're desperate, you do crazy things. And he was so desperate for his Lord Jesus that at the first opportunity that somebody, even if it was a woman, and women's testimonies were not regarded at this time, even if it was a woman who said Jesus is alive, Peter didn't hesitate to just take off running. Oh, if there's a chance he's alive, if there's a chance I could be redeemed, I'm going to run to it. I'm not going to sit around and consider it. I'm going to do something crazy because I need it that badly. Jesus reveals himself to his disciples. And then he says, I want you guys to go to Galilee and I'll meet you in Galilee. They're back in Galilee fishing because that's their family business. Of course, again, Jesus tells them where to cast the net. They pull in a bunch of fish. Peter realizes that it's Jesus. He swims to the shore. When he gets to the shore, Jesus already has a fire going with fish on it. Right? Jesus is like, hey, that's cool that you caught a bunch of fish, but I already brought some too. Why don't you share your fish with my fish and we'll have breakfast together? And then picking it up in John 21, 15. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, shepherd my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. The same command that his journey started with three years earlier, he says it this time, but what I love, and this is in the New American Standard, I don't know if it's in every translation, I love the exclamation points. There's no exclamation point in the first follow me, but there's an exclamation point in the second follow me. Three times he asked Peter, do you love me? Why three times? Because three times is how many times Peter denied Jesus. And so for every denial of Jesus, Jesus is giving him a moment of restoration, giving him a a moment 
to say, I love you, Lord. And Jesus says, shepherd my sheep, tend my lambs, tend my sheep. He is restoring Peter's destiny, the very destiny that Peter believed was forsaken. Jesus is restoring it. He says, you're still going to be the shepherd of my sheep. You're still going to lead my church. You're going to lead it so passionately, in fact, that later in life, they're going to kill you for it. But regardless of when they kill you or how they kill you, none of that matters. All that matters is follow me with an exclamation point. Don't turn back again. You're not forgotten. You're not forsaken. It is time to move forward. And it's great because we, we turn the page and we get to Acts chapter 1. And right after Jesus ascends to heaven, immediately we see Peter stand up and take leadership of the followers of Jesus. And he began to operate in that destiny for the next 34 approximately years until he is murdered for following Jesus. Let me have the worship team come back up today. Maybe you can relate with Peter. Maybe you know God has spoken a great destiny into your heart. Maybe prophetically great purposes or great ministries have been spoken over your life. Maybe you've known in your heart you're supposed to do amazing things for God. He has great things for you. But maybe you're at a point where you say, I've wasted so many years. I've failed. I want to follow Jesus, but when my character is put to the test, my character fails. I can't do the great things Jesus wants me to do. I can't be the person that he wants me to be. I'm already too far gone. Too many years have gone by, but here's the thing. Maybe those years have gone by because you failed, or maybe those years have gone by simply because Jesus is still pruning you. And he's using those years as a season of pruning. He's still working on your heart and your spirit and your faith. And he's just pruning you for greater fruitfulness. I've been there. I've been at moments, not just in the brokenness of my sin before I knew Jesus, but even as a follower of Jesus, I've been in those moments where I say, Lord, have I wasted it? Lord, my character didn't pass the test. And I believe today the resurrected Jesus wants to come to you the same way that he came to Peter. Think about where Peter was at. Peter was like, I sacrificed everything to follow Jesus, to follow this man. I lived apart from my wife for three years to follow this man. I gave it all. The business, everything. And then in his greatest moment of need, I betrayed him. I betrayed the Christ. My character didn't pass the test. I've forsaken my destiny. I've got nothing left. Oh, but then he rose. Kauai Bible Church, come on. You got to get this in your spirit. But then he rose, and the resurrection changed everything. And then Peter says, he gave me another chance to show my love and dedication for him. He repeated my destiny back to me three times, the same number of times I denied him. He let me know that my purpose and my authority in the kingdom was not lost. It was not forsaken. It was not abandoned. Abandoned. I am not a failure. He changed everything. He restored my destiny because he rose. 
In Kauai Bible Church, the resurrected Jesus is here today. And he wants to restore your destiny. He wants to speak life into your purpose. He wants to remind you of who he's making you to be, not who you are right now. Will you stand with me today? 30-some years later, after experiencing the resurrected Jesus, Peter wrote this sentence. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We are born again to a living hope because Jesus is alive. And when we experience the resurrected Jesus, we find that same living hope. And just as Peter experienced the restoration of his destiny, so can we. Our purpose is not too far gone. There haven't been too many years wasted. He still has great things in store for us. Let me invite the the prayer team to come. We're going to worship. And as we worship, I want to invite you to come forward. Find somebody on the prayer team. If you've been struggling with your destiny and purpose and feeling like you've missed it, then come. Let us pray for you. And let us pray that you would encounter the resurrected Jesus and you would experience the restoration of your destiny. If you're having trouble believing who God says you are, come pray with us. We would love to pray and to reinforce who God says you are and who God is making you to be. If you have any need at all, you need prayer for healing, you need God to come through in some area of your life, we would love to pray with you this morning. If you don't come forward, please join us in worship that we might set the atmosphere, that the Lord may minister to hearts and change people today. Because the resurrection changes everything.